Heavenly Father, we ask for your help as we examine your word carefully this morning. We pray that you would send your spirit in abundance and in examining your word, in searching out your paths, Lord, we pray that we would love your commands more than gold, more than pure gold. Oh, Lord, we pray that your word would be exceedingly precious to us as we look at it together this morning. And we pray this in your son's name. Amen. Well, again, we continue our series in the book of Colossians, uh, this letter that, the Paul wrote, uh, that Paul wrote to the church in Colossae so many years ago. And we've been looking in recent weeks uh, what it looks like to be a Christian, what it looks like to be a Christian, and, and the commission that we have from God to share the gospel in all its fullness to people, to share the word of God in its fullness to others, and how we're meant to be rooted and built up in Jesus Christ, and that in Christ we sh- have been given fullness in him. Over the he- and, who, and we've been looking at Jesus again and again and how he is the head over every power and authority and we are in him. And that's what we looked at last week and how we need to concentrate on the Lord Jesus Christ and not follow hollow and deceptive philosophies. And the Apostle Paul, in continuing his argument here as he refutes the different heresies that are coming into the church, he wants to remind the believers as to what they are in Jesus Christ, who they are in Jesus Christ and what has happened to them. And we're going to see, particularly from verse 11 and verse 12 this morning, what has happened to the Christian's sinful nature, what has happened to his flesh. And Paul has two illustrations for us this morning as to what has happened to our sinful nature. And the first is the illustration of circumcision. So I encourage you, if you've got a Bible there before you, open it up to Colossians chapter 2 and verse 11. And we see here that he speaks of the circumcision that we as Christians have received. In verse 11 we read, "...in him you were also circumcised in the putting off of the sinful nature, not with the circumcision done by the hands of men." but with the circumcision done by Christ. We should, uh, many of us do understand, probably not the children, what physical circumcision is. It's the putting off, it's the cutting off of the foreskin, and we understand that this is something that was practised in the Old Testament by the Jews as commanded by God. But becoming a Christian also means that there is a circumcision that has happened to the Christian. When you become a Christian, there is a putting off, there is a cutting off not of physical skin, but of the sinful nature. That is what is being described in verse 11. In him you were also circumcised, and he's speaking primarily to Gentiles here, he says that they are circumcised in the putting off, not of the foreskin, so to speak, but putting off of the sinful nature. Not with a circumcision done by the hands of men, but with a circumcision done by Christ. The Christian has experienced a circumcision but it is a circumcision of the sinful nature, of the flesh. Now, what is this flesh? What is the sinful nature? Well, one of the best places for a definition of the sinful nature is, comes from the book of Galatians. Turn with me back a few uh, pages earlier, Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5, uh, a book also written by the Apostle Paul. Galatians chapter 5, verse 16 And here we see that the sinful nature is that part of us that desires to sin and then lives in sin, committing certain sinful acts. Verse 16 of Galatians chapter 5, the Apostle Paul says, So I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the 
sinful nature. The word flesh in Greek there uh, is describing our sinful nature. And what does the sinful nature do? Verse 17, for the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the spirit and the spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They're in conflict with each other so that you do not do what you want. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under law. So we have this sinful nature within us that desires to sin. And then the Apostle Paul gives us a description of some of the sins that come out of the sinful nature. Verse 19 of Galatians chapter 5, the acts of the sinful nature are obvious, sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. And then he goes to speak of that wonderful verses that follow of the fruit of the Spirit in contrast to the sinful nature. So there we have a wonderful definition given to us by the Apostle Paul, or a terrible definition in some respects, not in the way that he gives it, uh, but it describes this wickedness that is inherent within all human beings since the fall of mankind. But the Apostle Paul wants to tell us, to remind us in Colossians chapter 2, that we, if we are Christians, we've experienced a circumcision of this sinful nature that has been cut off and it is no longer a part of us, that it has been removed by the Lord Jesus. And then there's another illustration that he gives in Colossians chapter 2, verse 12, to describe what has happened to us in our sinful nature. Verse 12, Closely parallel to circumcision there, verse 12, it says, having been buried with him in baptism and raised with him through your faith in the power of God who raised him from the dead. We understand what baptism is, particularly here at Baptist Church. I think we understand it even better than those who believe that baptism can be done by sprinkling. We understand that baptism is as we see it generally in the children's Bibles. I'm yet to see a children's Bible which has John the Baptist or uh, Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch sprinkling someone. No, they're always down in some river somewhere. Uh, And that is what we understand. We've seen many baptisms at this church where we see people go down under the water and come back up again. That's a physical immersion that we understand to be baptism. But the physical baptism that we have is a picture of the inner baptism that has already taken place if we are baptised as believers. And what is that baptism that has taken place? Well, our sinful nature has died with Christ and been buried with Christ, and then we have been raised without it. We are a new person in Jesus Christ. And that is how we are described in other places in Scripture as people who have died with Christ. We read in Galatians chapter 5, verse 24... Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh, the sinful nature, with its passions and desires. Remember, that's what the sinful nature is. That's what our flesh is. It's a passion and desire for sin. But we as Christians, we have crucified it. Christ has crucified it at the cross with him. It has been baptized with him into his death and burial. And so we understand that that sinful nature has been treated accordingly. And in verse uh, 17 of 2 Corinthians 5, we understand what it means to come up out of the water is that we have been raised with Christ as well and that we have a new life in him. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old 
has gone. The old man has gone. The sinful nature has gone. And what has happened? The new has come. We are a new person in Jesus Christ. That sinful nature that was part of our old person has been crucified with Christ, buried with Christ, and we have been raised accordingly. And so our physical baptism is just a picture, an illustration of the spiritual baptism that has taken place. And that's what we see with both of these acts here, that they are spiritual acts that Paul is speaking about here. He's taking the physical idea and then translating it to what has happened within. This circumcision that is done, it is not a physical circumcision. We see in verse 11 that the Apostle Paul is careful to point that out. In verse 11, In him you were also circumcised in the putting off of the sinful nature, not with a circumcision done by the hands of men but with the circumcision done by Christ. We are circumcised by Christ. It's a spiritual circumcision that has gone on inside. And it's the same with our baptism. We are baptized by Christ. It is a spiritual baptism that is being spoken of in verse 12. How do we know? Well, it says, having been buried with him in baptism and raised with him through your faith in the power of God, not through water, but through your faith in the power of God who raised him from the dead. Both of these are spiritual acts by God, by Jesus, by the Spirit within us. And we read that in other parts of Scripture as well. Look at Romans 2.29, for instance. It says, a man is a Jew if he is one inwardly, and circumcision is circumcision of the heart, by the Spirit, not by the written code. It is a spiritual circumcision that has taken place within us. And this is the true circumcision that has been spoken of all along in the Bible, ultimately. The physical circumcision of the Jews was to point to this spiritual circumcision of the heart, which is the primary circumcision. We read from Deuteronomy chapter 30 before, and what did we read in Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 6? The Lord your God, speaking to Jews, will circumcise your bodies, your men, no, will circumcise your hearts and the hearts of your descendants so that you may love him with all your heart and with all your soul and live. The truly circumcised ones in the Old Testament were those who were circumcised of the heart that God had performed upon them. And so they loved the Lord. He wasn't just their national God. He was their family God. He belonged to them. And so they weren't just part of Israel as a nation, they were part of Israel as God's people whom he had circumcised inwardly. And this is what we should desire. What is described here in verse 11 and verse 12 is what all of humanity should desire. That all of us should desire that our sinful nature, which we see so clearly in our lives, would be cut off, would be crucified, would be buried, and that we'd be raised to be a new person who does not have that sinful nature eating away in our minds and controlling us. And it can only be done by Christ. We understand this from the Scriptures, and we see it again and again in the lives of those who try to wrestle against the sinful nature and have dominion over it by their own strength, with New Year's resolutions, with vows to themselves, with vows to others, I won't do it again. And what do they find? They find themselves doing it again. They find themselves wrestling again and again and again, and they're never done with the sinful nature. It continues to have dominion over them and reign in them. It has to be done by Christ. And so humanity often desires to ha be rid of the sinful nature, but they don't go to the right place. They don't go to the right person. And so we all have to ask ourselves, have we 
been buried with Christ in baptism and raised through faith in the power of God? Have we been circumcised by Christ? If we want to be done with that sinful nature and the ramifications of it in terms of the sinful acts that flow from it and the consequences of the wrath of God towards us for our sin, then we have to come to Christ. We have to come to Christ and have faith in him. See it there in verse 12, having been buried with him in baptism and raised with him through your faith in the power of God who raised him from the dead. And so if there are anyone listening to me right now and you've never been circumcised by Christ, you've never been baptized by Christ, your sinful nature is still very much a part of your life, then come to faith in him now. Trust in him and ask him to crucify your sinful nature and cut it off from yourself so that you can live in newness of life and live according to his ways. But for us as Christians, if we have been circumcised by Christ, if we have been baptised, as these Colossians were so many years ago, he is speaking to them as saints, that they are sanctified in Christ, that they belong to Christ. Why is he reminding them of what they have in Christ Jesus? Why is he telling them about their circumcision and their baptism that is done by Christ? Well, I don't think he is teaching infant baptism here. I have to mention this because, of course, through history, and particularly the last four or five hundred years, a lot of people have latched onto these two verses and seen here that the Apostle Paul is teaching infant baptism. Even as Protestants who do not believe in regeneration by baptism, they still think that we should baptise infants because of verses like these. They think that the new baptism, uh, the, the new circumcision, the circumcision for Christians is baptism. And so if you look at a catechism like the Heidelberg Catechism, that Reformed Catechism, it says, should infants too be baptised, is one of the questions in it. And the answer is, yes, infants as well as adults belong to God's covenant and congregation. Therefore, by baptism as a sign of the covenant, they must be incorporated into the Christian church and distinguished from the children of believers. So we must include children as covenant, as part of the covenant of God. And then it goes on, the last sentence of this question, the answer to it, this was done in the old covenant by circumcision in place of which baptism was instituted in the new covenant. So look at the Old Testament, they see that circumcision was given to children in the old, co in the old covenant, in the Old Testament, and so if we're in the new covenant and we see that baptism is the sign of the new covenant, then it must be given to children. But if we look at the text, I don't think this is what this is teaching at all. It is teaching us in this text that the circumcision of the new covenant, the circumcision of the new covenant is not baptism. Instead, what is the circumcision of the new covenant? It is the circumcision of the heart. Is it a spiritual circumcision that is being spoken of here? Not a physical circumcision of the old covenant. It says, in putting off of the sinful nature, not with a circumcision done by the hands of men, but with the circumcision done by Christ. There is a circumcision in the new covenant, and it's not baptism. It's the circumcision of the sinful nature done by Christ. So that is my primary reason for not equating baptism with circumcision here and then saying, okay, because of the way that they did circumcision in the Old Testament, we need to do the same with baptism in the New Testament and the New Covenant if we're New Covenant believers. So we should baptise our children. No, that is not what is being taught in this text. And there's, a, there's many reasons why I also reject infant baptism. I won't go into them all today, but I want to just raise a couple, two, two more points. One is that if baptism is the new circumcision, 
why did Jewish Christians in the New Testament pressure Gentile Christians to be circumcised? If you look at the New Testament and you look at the ways that Jewish Christians responded to Gentile Christians, there was a, often they brought up the need for the Gentile Christians to be physically circumcised. You look at the book of Acts, you look at Acts chapter 15 where they actually hold a council about the matter. There's this pressure coming from Jewish Christians to Gentile Christians to be physically circumcised. And if you look at the book of Galatians, most of Galatians is concerned with that matter, with why aren't the Gentile Christians getting circumcised? Now, if baptism, as our Pado baptist brothers and sisters claim, if baptism is the new circumcision, why in the New Testament did the Jewish Christians make such a song and a dance about physical baptism, uh, physical circumcision? Why did they want that if all it took would have been for the Apostle Paul or Peter or one of the other apostles to say, look, they have a circumcision. It is baptism. They've all been circumcised. But instead they kept going on about physical circumcision. So it was clear in the New Testament that they were not equating circumcision with baptism. And, of course, another point is that we reject infant baptism because there's no command in the New Testament to baptise infants. And then if you want a third reason... I'll give you one. It's that we don't see an example in the New Testament on infant baptism. So that's one of my main... They're my main reasons for rejecting infant baptism and for particularly not seeing infant baptism in these, in these verses that are before us. This is not a proof text for infant baptism. Instead, this is a proof text for the fact that we have circumcision already, but it's done by Jesus Christ. All right. So it's not about teaching infant baptism here in this text. So what is the Apostle Paul trying to teach the Colossians and trying to teach us today by reminding us of the circumcision of our uh, sinful nature and the baptism of our sinful nature into Christ's death and burial? Well, the Apostle Paul wants us as Christians to put off the sinful nature. He wants us to remind us of what we have achieved in Jesus Christ and to live up to what we've attained, to put it off. We read in verse 16, what does he say after speaking about circumcision and, uh, oh, of course, what he's also achieved, which we'll look at next week in verses uh, 13 and 14 and 15. In verse 16, he begins with the word, therefore. Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to religious festival, a new moon celebration or a Sabbath day. And he goes on to speak about these rules and regulations that people are trying to impose upon them, which is a going back to self-righteousness, which is an act of the sinful nature, an act of the sinful nature where you think that you can be right with God because of what you do. Don't go back to that. He's wanting them to remember that their sinful nature is being cut off. So don't go back to that self-righteousness that you had before. And then if we look down uh, to verse 9 of chapter 3, verse 9 of chapter 3, where he's been speaking about other sins uh, that we should be putting off, Verse 9, do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. That word there, uh, that you have taken off your old self, it's the same for back here in verse 11 of chapter 2, of the putting off of the sinful nature. He wants to remind us, if you have put off the old self, the sinful nature, then don't go back to it. Don't engage in sin like lying, and of course we'll look at the other instructions, the other commands in chapter 3 in weeks to come. Because we have been saved and our sinful nature has been cut off, we should not go into sin. We should not let sin reign within us. 
And this is taught for us also in Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6, where the Apostle Paul says many similar things, uh, and he clearly states that he's teaching the people this for, uh, about what's happened to their sinful nature in Christ's death and burial. It's so that they will not live in sin any longer. Turn with me back to chapter 6, verse 1. Chapter 6, verse 1, and we'll read a number of verses. We'll read down to verse 14. Romans chapter 6, a few books before the book of Colossians. Romans chapter 6, which the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Rome. Romans chapter 6, very similar instructions given here, but I think it makes it very clear that the reason he reminds us of our our circumcision and our uh, baptism particularly is so that we will not sin any longer. Chapter 6, verse 1 of Romans. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? If our sinful nature has died, how can we live in sin any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptised into Christ Jesus were baptised into what? His death. We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father we too may live a new life. We have died and been buried with Jesus, so we are to live a new life. And he continues, if we have been united with him like this in his death, we will certainly also be united with him in his resurrection. For we know that our old self was crucified with him. So, why? So that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin, because anyone who has died has been freed from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. That is Christ, but that's also us. We are to live to God because we've died to sin with Christ. He goes on in verse 11. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer the parts of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer the parts of your body to him as instruments of righteousness. For sin shall not be your master, because you are not under law, but under grace. We understand that our sinful nature has been crucified. It has been cut off. It has been buried. Therefore, we are not to live sinful lives. Instead, we are to live to the glory of God. And that is what the Apostle Paul is teaching, I think, in in a less number of verses in Colossians chapter 2. He's reminded the Colossians what they have achieved in Christ Jesus, that their sinful nature has been cut off, their sinful nature has been crucified and buried with Christ in baptism by the Spirit in their hearts. And so therefore, don't go back to sinning. And in future weeks, we'll find out what those sins look like. And so Paul wants us to do the same today. He wants us to treat our sinful nature as a discarded body part. It's dead to us. And so we should avoid sinning. We should avoid allowing our sinful nature to take control of us. Once a body part is cut off, we're loath to have it back on. 
particularly if a surgeon has cut it off. Now, if you chop off your finger, you might want a surgeon to put it back on. But if a surgeon has surgically removed something at your request, you don't want it back. You want it put in the bin. And we see this with when we lose other parts of our body as well. You can see it with people's hair. It's a, a more minor idea, but it's still there. Some people love their hair and take great pride in their hair. They wash it. Well, most of us should do that. But some people wash it much more than others, and they really care for it, and they condition it. They brush it. They spend a lot of time colouring it. They spend time fashioning their, share, their hair. They will happily run their fingers through their hair. They touch their hair a lot. And they may even kiss the hair of someone else. You kiss the head of somebody else. But if one of those hairs goes wandering, if it leaves the body and goes off somewhere else, people find it suddenly repulsive. They really get upset, particularly if it appears somewhere that they really don't like it to be. If you're in a restaurant and you're there with your food and there's suddenly a hair in your food, it doesn't matter whose hair it is, it shouldn't be there. And you can even try and get a free meal as a result of a hair being in your food because it is that repulsive. If something leaves our body, we are not particularly happy to have it back. And it's the same with nails and particularly toenails. Some girls love their toenails. They paint them, they shape them, they have pedicures. You can even get stickers to put on your toenails. I didn't know this until uh, more recently. But if you collect clipped toenails, people think you're gross. I was a podiatrist. I clipped a lot of toenails. No patient ever asked me to give them their toenails back at the end of my session with them. Even when I clipped fungal toenails and got samples so that they could be tested, so that they could get treatment, so they could take a, a tablet for the fungal treatment, they didn't like holding the jar somewhat. They sort of hold it out from themselves. But it was their toenail that was on their foot before. But they're now suddenly repulsed by this idea because it is distant from them. It is cut off from them. And that should be our attitude to the sinful nature. It has been circumcised. We don't keep reattaching our sinful natures like a discarded foreskin, bringing it back and reattaching it to the body. Fishing around in medical waste is a dangerous activity to engage in. It is the height of stupidity, and you're liable to get sick and die if you start going through dumpsters outside hospitals. Even when I worked in a podiatry clinic, there was uh, a man who used to come round and go through people's bins, and he used to go round and into the car park of the podiatry clinic and go through the dumpster in the podiatry clinic. And it's like, you really don't want to be going through there. I mean, there is medical waste that we would send off for, uh, to be burnt up, but then there's other bits and pieces that are in, a, in a, a dumpster at a medical clinic. You just don't want to be going there. You're liable to get sick and possibly die for going through that medical waste. And it's the same with us, with our sinful natures. If you go fishing around in your sinful nature, it can make you spiritually sick and even lead to death. That's what the Apostle Paul says in Romans 8, verse 13. For if you live according to the sinful nature... You will die. You will die if you live according to the sinful nature. And it's the same with the illustration of the burial of the sinful nature in baptism. We think of our sinful nature, it's been cut off by Jesus, like circumcision. 
but it's also the illustration is given, us, given to us of baptism to help us understand. If someone has been buried, you don't go digging them up. And if the sinful nature that has been buried walks in the door, you don't embrace it, you kill it. You don't welcome zombies back into your life. What do you do if a zombie comes in? You shoot it in the head. That's what you do if a zombie comes. I was speaking to my children about this and saying, I'm going to mention zombies in church on Sunday. And what do you do with a zombie? I said to my son, and he said, I said, you shoot it in the head, don't you? And he said, no, 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 Dad. You shoot it in the head three times. You don't shoot it once, you shoot it three times. I said, can I share that on Sunday? And he said, yes. That's what we do with zombies. And the biblical language of what we do with our zombie sinful nature when it returns is we crucify it. We crucify it. Galatians chapter 5 verse 24 says, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. Shooting's too good for it. Crucify it. Crucify it when it shows up again. And so this is the way we are to live. We are to treat the sinful nature as dead to us. And therefore, we can stay healthy and live rather than get sick and die. That's what Romans 8 verse 13 to 14 says. For if you live according to the sinful nature, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live because those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. Now, why do we need to hear this this morning? Why did the Colossians need to hear what circumcision had happened in their hearts, what baptism had happened in their hearts? Why do we need to hear it today? Because we so often are trying to reattach our foreskins and let our zombie eat our brains. That sounds gross, but that's the point. We need to be grossed out by the thought of letting sin reign over us again after it's been cut off and buried with Jesus Christ. Sadly, we are not grossed out by sin as we should. And so Paul has to shock us by comparing it to circumcision, by comparing it to death. And I have to try and shock you this morning as well to understand how terrible it is to let your sinful nature come back and reign in your life. And I have to ask us all the question, this morning, did you try to reattach your sinful nature foreskin or welcome your zombie self back this last week? How do you know? Well, did you let sin control you? Reign over you is the way that it is expressed in Romans. Reign over you. Take over your mind and dominate your thoughts. Did you let sin do that? I'm not so much talking about the brief temptations. I'm talking about that protracted period where you engaged in a sinful practice and you may have even had in the back of your mind your conscience screaming out against you, you shouldn't be doing this, you shouldn't be doing this, you shouldn't be doing this, and you continued in it. Did you hate someone and you mulled over them in your thoughts? Round and round and round and you got angrier and angrier and you may have even shown that anger, that hatred within by the way that you spoke, and by the things that you did. That's a letting the zombie take back over your brains, eat your brains and dominate you. That's a putting back on of that foreskin that has been cut off of the sinful nature. Or did you envy someone and covet what they have? Did you give over to a lust? We see that with King David, 
that he lusted, and then it just took over. That sinful nature that was meant to have been cut off, he just let it dominate him, and it led to further and further sin. Did you give over to laziness and idleness and drunkenness or substance abuse in this last week? Did fears and anxieties plague your minds, take root within your mind? Even fears about deadly viruses and the outcomes of catching a particular virus that we're all very conscious of today. Did that take over your mind? And you were dominated by thinking about it and the fears and anxieties came up in a way that was increasingly sinful. If that is true in this last week, that that has happened to you, what have you done? Don't you know that medical waste and zombies only bring pain and death? But don't despair. Don't despair. The damage done in this last week, if you have allowed your sinful nature to have control once more, the damage can be limited and you can be helped to prevent it from happening again. How do we stop this from happening? How do we stop the zombie at the door? How do we crucify it? How do we stop that habit of wanting to reattach our sinful nature to ourselves like a, a, a foreskin that was discarded? Well, we need to come to Jesus. Jesus is the one who cut off our sinful nature and crucified it initially. And he helps us when, they, when it rears up again, when that sinful nature comes back. And so we go to him. We pray for increased faith in him and his power. That is what is described in verse 12. It says, having been buried with him in baptism and raised with him through your faith. Your faith in what? In the power of God who raised him from the dead. That's what we need. We need increasing faith in the power of God if we are to overcome that sinful nature that wants to take over our brains again. So we come to him and we ask for increased faith in him. And we come to him and repent again for our failure. And we mourn over it to him. And we turn from it. That's what repentance is, a turning in our mind, a change of mind. And that's what we do. We come after we've let that zombie take over and we say, I'm so sorry, God, again, for letting my sinful nature rule over me. It should not be. It's meant to be dead and just cut off from me. But I've let it. I come to you and I'm sorry and I repent. And if it's happening again and again, we need to examine ourselves for whether we are truly saved, whether we have true faith and true repentance and come to God for the first time and say, I'm sorry for my sins. Cleanse me by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. And we also need to come to him after we've looked for increased faith in him as we've repented of our sins and we need to then focus our energy on killing our sinful nature, crucifying it, shooting it three times in the head, that's what we need to be doing to our sinful nature. We need to be about killing our sinful nature more than we are about killing the coronavirus. It's amazing how much time and energy and money is being put into killing the coronavirus. We should be doing even more than that to killing our sinful nature, which causes far more harm than any flu virus did. And then when we see... Christ reigning in our mortal bodies rather than our sinful nature reigning there. We need to come to God and rejoice and thank him for the work that he is doing in us by his spirit. And let's come and thank him now and pray to him for help as we seek to put into practice the things we've heard this morning. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for circumcising our sinful nature and baptising it into your death 
and burial and raising us to new life without a sinful nature to rule over us any longer. Oh Lord, we pray that if anyone listening to us this morning has not received such a circumcision and a baptism by you, do it now, O oh Lord. Circumcise their hearts now. Crucify their sinful nature by the power of your Holy Spirit so that they can have that newness of life that we have enjoyed at this church. But Lord, we come before you and ask also for your forgiveness, for embracing our sinful nature again and not putting it off as we should. Oh Lord, we pray that you would lead us in the future by your spirit to live by greater faith in your power, the power that raised you from the dead and ongoing repentance. Oh Lord, we pray that when we've let our sinful nature reign over us, that we would be quick to repent afterwards, to say sorry, to come before you and ask for forgiveness through Christ once more. And then, O oh Lord, we pray that we would be strengthened by yourself to live according to your ways and not to the ways of the sinful nature, and that we would rejoice when we see us walking in step with the Spirit instead of in step with the sinful nature, and we would praise you for the one who has helped us to crucify our sinful natures. And we pray this in your son's name. Amen.